Hello there, my name is Brett Landry, and I am here with Jake LaFave, and this is the Here Be Dragons podcast. It is our pleasure today to welcome our friend Daryl. Uh, we're not sharing Daryl's full name, just for uh, reasons that uh, he'll explain a little bit later, but he works in some creative situations that uh, make it so that we want to keep uh, just his first name on here. So he'll explain a little bit about that, but we're very excited to be able to have him on yeah. and have a conversation about what he's doing, what he's seeing around the world and uh, how that can maybe just build into our lives. And so, Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad, very glad to be included and to be able to have this conversation with you. It's awesome. Well, yeah, we're, we're thrilled to um, not only uh, be able to have you on the podcast, but to be able to call you friend and mentor, and uh, you've spoken into our lives in mm-hmm. various settings in different ways, and so we're just so thankful for you and uh, all that you're doing. Daryl, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you are giving yourself to in this season of time? Well, after spending about 40 years in pastoral ministry, it's been a transition to the world of missions with a particular focus of uh, training pastors overseas. And so I spend a lot of time uh, in various parts of the world uh, simply bringing basic Bible education classes, uh, courses, to those in ministry who really don't have access. And the reason for the lack of access is primarily their education is too low. They live in a, a country where it's not available uh, there is no funding for it, and uh, there are, are you know geographical reasons and political reasons that keep them from being a part of a, a, any kind of official college program. So we get to pack up Bible school, as it were, and throw it in a suitcase and uh, take it to these brave, amazing church ministry workers. So that's the, that's the center of it. Daryl, do you mind just speaking a bit into sort of your first exposure to the the need to teach the Bible to these uh, men and women ar- around the world? Um, what what kind of led you to this? Um, how have you kind of seen that need grow or change over your course of, of even your ministry? Well, it began when I was working as, as a missions pastor in a, in a large church, and we had opportunity to partner with one of the denominational ministries in helping train church planters in biblical studies. And so that actually took place in North Africa. And I uh, got exposed there to the needs that are incredible in terms of the number of people serving as church planters, as church workers, pastors, who really have no biblical foundation. And uh, I didn't think a lot of it when we started in terms of a global, but as uh, we got engaged in North Africa, and then from there we were able to connect into Latin America and then eventually into Asia, um, the, the need is actually astounding. It's, mm. it's huge. In fact, the things that we take for granted, like having books in a library, uh, there, are, there are millions of pastors who just have no access to any biblical study material. Wow. In fact... Um, my understanding is that that 85% of the pastors who serve outside of North America have no solid theological training and no access to it. What was the percentage? Just say that again. 85% have, these are people in pastoral ministry, 85% have very little or no access to solid theological training. My goodness. So, Daryl, if I can just sort of... uh, piggyback on that for, for a second when you talk about solid theological training like are you saying like um you know they don't you know speak greek or like know like they're hebrew well or what what are you talking about when you're talking about sort of these foundational biblical biblical and theological training sort of requirements um it's simple as knowing how to read their bible and yeah. study it in context 
Uh, One of the first courses we teach is called Introduction to Biblical Studies, and the part of the course is teaching them how to actually read and study and uh, draw out the, the principles from the text. And we begin to talk about things like what is the context of the passage? And these are these are foreign words to these people. Hmm. Uh, I can tell you a quick story. In one country we were working in, uh, I spent part of the afternoon uh, sharing with them, you know, five or six wrong ways to study the Bible: allegorizing, spiritualizing, you know, decontextualizing, etc. And at the close of the class, I I said, uh, tomorrow we're going to take a look at a more of a, of a historical, literal, grammatical approach to studying the Scripture. And I closed in prayer. At the end of my prayer, one of the students got up and started praying. In fact, praying with weeping. I mean, he was just crying out. And I turned to my translator and said, can you tell me, like, what's, what's going on? What's he praying? And here this, this man had been a pastor for 20 years, uh, had no access to biblical education, had a Bible, obviously, and read it and shared as best he could and moralized it as best he could. But there he was praying, and actually he was asking God to forgive him for mishandling the text of Scripture for 20 years. And he just said, oh, God, please forgive me. I didn't do it on purpose. I did it out of my ignorance. I just did not know any better. Can you please, please forgive me? And that's, that's a pretty common problem is that these people are into ministry, sometimes because they're the first one saved, sometimes because they have a bit of an education or they can read or they have a Bible, and they end up leading people to Jesus, and next thing you know, they're shepherding a flock of his people. Oh. And uh, they're doing it as best and valiantly and courageously and sacrificially as they can, but just do not have the foundation that helps them even know the, the grand narrative context of the, the book itself. So, so it's pretty foundational stuff. The foundational level of it. Daryl, tell us just a little bit, what are some of the concerns that you would have as you go into these various situations around the globe? What are some of the things that you see where there is a lack of, of the ability to do some of the things you're talking about, some of the things that you go and train pastors and leaders to think through and how to handle the word? What are the symptoms that you see in the church in a place that has not had access to this kind of training? Well, first of all, the preaching and teaching tends to be moralizing. You know, we all have to work harder to be better, to be satisfactory to God. Along with that, um, any other doctrinal truth that blows through the community gets is attractive. Somebody comes and teaches a new way of thinking about things, and uh, we have what, what Paul alluded to, every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find the church ripped back and forth on various things and left very confused because something new blows into town. They don't have a, a, an ability to examine the Scripture to find out whether it's true. They don't even know where to start. And so somebody gets up who says it, who tends to be famous, whether it's through the Internet or through some visitor somewhere that comes to town. Um, everything is, is game and open and is valuable and is useful without any ability to just be able to even analyze whether it's true or not. They have no, no tools for assessing that in terms of their own understanding of the text. As a result, the church is not strong in many of these places. It may be large, it may be numbers of them, but the depth of the, the actual understanding of the gospel and its clarity and message of grace and the implications for life and for ministry just are not clear. And people carry a lot of baggage that they're not intended to carry around legalistic, moralistic Christianity. See, it's a huge issue. 
Daryl, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the person who comes in and, and the famous person via the internet or the radio or whatever, and, and they have the teaching and everybody kind of leeches onto that teaching. How, how do you teach and how do you lead that, that sort of, uh, in such a way that distinguishes yourself from perhaps some of these, these what you'd consider, I think what we'd consider false teachings or unhelpful teachings uh, in the churches that you're going to? What are some of the core sort of, I don't want to use the pedagogical, but sort of core teaching styles that you want to employ when it comes to biblical training? Uh, what, what do you want your students to see and them to understand? Does that make sense? Well, first of all, yeah, it does. First of all, I want them to be able to see it in the text. Right. Uh, not, not believe it because Daryl said it or someone else who's taught with us is saying it. Not because they, they heard us, but because they know how to actually open the book and find it for themselves. So our point is to give them tools uh, to be able to handle the scripture rather than tell them what to believe. Now, of course, we're teaching to develop conviction, but the same point, we want to make sure those convictions aren't based on what we have said, but are based clearly on the text of scripture. So our intent is to make sure that they can go back to any of the books that we study with them through the genre of scripture and uh, be able to, to surface for themselves the heart of what the author is intending to say and how it fits into their culture and their time frame. Something else we're very careful of, we're very careful not to make applications specifically because we come from a different cultural context than they come from. And uh, I know how to do things in Canada, but I don't know how to do things in some of these countries. In fact, I find out as we talk, work with ministry leaders, we don't need to teach them how to church plant or how to do evangelism. They know how to do that. Um, they, they got that figured out, and the churches are growing, and they're leading people to faith. But it's sitting down and discipling and deepening their walk. And so teaching them how to open the book, not just to believe what we've said, but to actually be able to verify it. So that's really important to us in terms of the core of what we're trying to do. So uh, we walk through the various uh, genres of Scripture with the intent of helping them do a good job of studying it for themselves. And that's really uh, fairly significant uh, core piece to what we're doing. It strikes me as you talk about this as, I mean, 2,000 years ago, there was there was the ministry of the body of Christ happening, but it was, uh, in that sense, restricted by the technological uh, methods of travel and, and communication that were uh, around. And it's been like that all the way through the history of the Church, that different aspects of the Church have brought different focuses and emphasis to uh, other regions of the world, and they've helped and kind of come alongside. And I know some of the places that you're working, they are, they're certainly better evangelists than we tend to be in Canada, I would say, uh, but they don't have a better evangel. They, you, they don't have a better gospel than we have, but there are those things that we can learn from them. And it strikes me that this is just the kind of thing Jesus would do with his church, and he would say, here's some resources over here. Let's Let's partner them together with people who need access to resources like that, and and we'll send these folks out there. And one of the things, Daryl, I know you've told me before, you're not there, like you said, to build uh, into the application of it. You're there to, uh, to, to help them to take the next step. Your goal, though, is your goal to continue to travel in and out of these countries? Uh, you know, how are you raising up leaders um, in country who do understand that culture, who do understand the tendencies of the different ideologies that they're dealing with in those various cities and and towns around their countries? How do you look at that? Well, our goal, first of all, is not to build an institution that we operate in another country via Canada. 
Uh, the world is changing so quickly in terms of security issues. Uh, travel is simple, but uh, border security, uh, various laws in various countries really dictate against us being there long term. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is we take uh, our core course curriculum and uh, we teach a, an initial group with the intent out of that group raising up teachers, those with gifts of teaching, those with the ability to take now and multiply. So our intent is not to build an institution within the country that's designed in Canada, but for them to build an institution or a program or a movement that fits their culture and time. So our task is to find those whom we can teach to teach others. That's the core of what we're trying to do. Uh, We're not trying to, again, create an institution that has some kind of global girth, but instead we, we want to see a movement among God's people. Uh, our name doesn't need to be attached. We, we can be the no-names at the beginning who lay some stones down and let watch the church, the local church, build on it. Uh, our most recent strategic thinking, which we're uh, working on in a couple of countries, actually three of them right now, is to help a local a denominational group or network start their own college program. So we're going in with the intent that they give leadership. We come along and provide core curriculum for them, teach it the first time, with them now surfacing teachers who will uh, develop their own college or biblical studies pastoral training program that they will manage and look after. So we're just the seed planters. We're not trying to build a finished product or an organization or structure that, that has to last uh, we're we're coming alongside and, and uh, energizing and resourcing the local churches. And I really believe in the local church. I mean, the heart of what we do is, is built around the local church, and it's strengthening. And so for us as an outside organization, we're there for a limited period of time. Uh, we get to resource for, for and journey with them for a period of time and uh, watch what God does as he uh, helps local leaders uh, just move um, further than we could ever do in their country. So it's it's a it, it's a it's a journey with them. It's not a, a, a you know we're not trying to build something that we can't maintain. Love that, Daryl. I wonder if we could circle back just for a second. Uh, knowing you work in some countries that aren't what we'd call creative access uh, countries, um, maybe give an example or story of a time when you sort of gave sort of here's the truth and now contextualize it in your own. Uh, setting in your own place. Is, is there a story when you saw that sort of happen uh, in a particularly un- unusual or sort of, uh, you know, surprising way that you could maybe share with us? Well, I have to think about that one a little bit. Um, we've been in so many different places, and uh, I, I remember one conversation I had, we were talking about the local church and and how, you know, um, you know how, how you disciple and we're talking about children and families and mm. so on and, and the tendency was when asked a question for us to give the canadian answer of how to do youth ministry how to do children's ministry and i remember that uh, i was asked at one point um well what would you do if, if you were doing this and i began i began to give my canadian answer <laughs> which was built around church structure of how we do kids ministry. You know, kids are there for part of the service and they're out for their own teaching time. Get a and separate so on. program and get the yeah, crayons out. Yep. And, and the problem there is that it was just, it caused an explosion culturally because it be, they could not do that. There's no way they could even 
make this thing work. And so they came back to me and remember in the classroom and argued and, and, and I didn't quite see what they were saying till after I thought about it. Went, this was not a, a, an educational debate. This was not a, you know, church structure debate. This was a cultural debate right? and how their culture manages family and the care of children and how ours does is very, very mm. different. And so I didn't get a chance to see how they actually played it out, but that conversation was enough to remind me that um, our answers on how to do church does not fit. The problem that's happened over the years is that we have exported too much of our program. Interesting. And there's all kinds of people traveling the world doing seminars on how to do church, how to do various things. We have discovered... That's all wonderful, except that we tend to carry our own baggage. But it would be better for us just to focus on the Scripture and let them figure out how to apply this thing and to make it work. And, and I think what we're hearing from those who are studying with us is that what's changing for them is their preaching and teaching in the church is changing, and that has resulted in changes in ministry. Hmm. Uh, and that's the exciting part for me. So we have we have not been able to be on the ground in the church community as much as we'd like because of restrictions. However, um, it's fun to work with a group as they wrestle with how do you make this work. Yeah, and I'm not sure I've actually answered your question clearly. No, no, that was I mean it's a good reminder. I think to remind us of course of the cultural kind of blinders we come in with uh, oftentimes. And I think it's a good reminder to be to be you know brought to our attention again that the the scriptures are in in that sense transcultural. So, so God's truth rules and reigns in every different culture in the world. And so the cultivated behavior of a, a particular group of people may be more so or less so biblical if we want to look at the family, for, uh, for instance, the way that you treat your wife, the way that you care for your husband, the way that you raise your children and disciple them. And, but, but it doesn't mean that you need a prescription that's exported from North America on here's, here's our curriculum for how we do children's ministry. There's a lot of leeway in that, and that's the part, I think, Daryl, that you're talking about where these these uh, you know pastors and leaders that are being trained need to be able to take the truth of the gospel and apply it in their setting in their context in their own culture and call people to Jesus in and through that work and i think along with that the church has to be creative i was sitting with one group of leaders not long ago and we were talking about the new restrictions in their particular country and how difficult it is for them to meet and i said i said well here's some things i want to ask why do you meet on sunday do you have to? Hmm. And they looked at me, well, that's what we've always done. I said, well, show me in the text of Scripture. They didn't know where I was getting to, and they couldn't really show me. I said, well, you know, in this country, guess who's looking for you on Sunday? The authorities are. <laughs> right. Why wouldn't you meet on Tuesday or Tuesday night? They're not looking for you then. And how do you, how do you rethink church programming that you've inherited from North America to actually fit the context of where you are? And I was explaining to them that if we had the kinds of difficulties in Canada that they're facing in their own country, most of us would not know how to handle it because we are so built around buildings and certain programs and structures, and we see those as legitimate progress of the gospel, and they're great tools, but that's all they are. Yeah. And yet, sometimes we focus on that. So I think these are great days to be working in restricted countries because there's a wonderful challenge to rethink how we live out the gospel in the terms of our community. 
And it's a great day to be creative. And I don't know that even in North America, we have the ability to deal with persecution and that kind of pressure mm-hmm. creatively. I think we would just moan and groan and <laughs> feel sorry for ourselves. And I'm seeing leaders in various countries where it's getting tougher uh, become more creative. Instead of having a church of 100, they now have 10 churches of 10. And they're yeah. excited because they said, we can reach nine new communities. And it's joyfully right. done. And we are crying, oh, you know, we're going to lose our building, we're going to do whatever, whatever. You know, and yet I see a, just a different view of, the, uh, of how they do church. And, and so the point is, is not to teach them how to do this stuff, but to teach them the Word so they can anchor their decisions in the Scripture yeah. and not just in culture. So when you, you get the opportunity to travel a lot, I know uh, you've got more air miles than you care to have. Um, when you are in these other places, in these other cultures, and, and I know that you're there to teach and to train, and you're there to empower and equip the local leaders on the ground, and I know that there's, in that sense, a transactional element to it where you're pouring into them, why don't you maybe help some of us in Canada? What are some of the things that you're learning from that church community in these different places, especially in the areas of restricted access? What do you learn, and what do you come home with in terms of uh, receiving from them, uh, even as you're there to give. Wow, it's that's a great question. It's a rich, it's a rich reward, a rich education. Uh, first thing is, I I learn a great deal about tenacity and courage. Um, I I look at what these people go through, and I ask myself continually, could I really do this? Mm. Would I be as as courageous as tenacious? I, I said to somebody one time, well, why do you guys keep meeting? Like, why why don't you just give up? Like, why don't you just all become solo solo believers doing your own thing and, you know, in your care of your family and, and do, go get your job and do your work and go to school but not talk about Jesus? Like, why do you put yourselves under such pressure? Uh, that was my carnal question. Of course, the answer comes back, well, Jesus is worth it. Yeah. Why, why would we not do this? And so I've been challenged to examine, is the gospel worth it? I like the gospel, and I like all the, the blessings I have in North America that I associate with the gospel, which may or not be accurate, but I love all that. You know, we've got mm-hmm. access to resources, we have comfort, we have safety, we have health care, we've got permission to meet. And, and I see all those as the blessing of God, and, and I'm not saying they aren't, but I associate that as part of my joy. Here are people who don't have that kind of freedom, that kind of ability, those kinds of resources, and they walk with more joy in the gospel than I do. Yeah. And I think I've been polluted. <laughs> you know, or or not even realizing, you know, what I've attached to the gospel is not necessarily gospel stuff. Yeah, God has provided and I need to be a good steward of it, but too often I see that as the gospel more than the reality of sins forgiven and the amazing grace and eternity. Um, so I, I'm learning to step back and re-examine my own life. And, and I often feel like I'm somewhat, uh, you know, double-minded. I, I'm in a tough country, and I just love my brothers and sisters and stand with them. And, and I come home, and I, and I see the weakness of our own churches and our own inability to stand for the gospel, our own fear, our own desire to be comfortable. And I I, I sometimes I get angry. I get angry at myself. I get angry at what I see in the Canadian church. Um, and I go, wow, you know, we have much to learn. And I still want to be a student of my brothers and sisters who, you know, and their love for the book. Oh, man, you know, I mean, I, I've got how many Bibles surrounding me in my home, various versions and 
copies and so on. And yet these guys have one book and they treasure and cherish it. Mm -hmm. And it is the very life of God to them. And, you know, I, I have three or four just hanging around. And so things like that, just valuing the scripture and then valuing the community. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think the the church community, these people hang on each other. Mm -hmm. They survive because of each other. We we tend to, in North America, my view at least, uh, we bounce off of each other. Hmm. We intersect when when comfortable or necessary, but we don't depend on one another to survive. We don't need to. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. Okay, what do I need in my life in terms of community uh, to keep me focused and stable? How important is the church? How important is hanging out with the community in a small group or a worship setting or whatever meetings that we're a part of. And I'm seeing, you know, the necessity of that in a new, fresh way. Daryl, I'm thinking especially of young people here too, um, in in a micro sense and in a smaller sense, have perhaps maybe done that month-long, two-month-long trip somewhere involved in whatever and and seeing those people you're talking about, people who love Jesus and enjoy Jesus and depend on Jesus and have the community of followers all around them, and they come home, and there's this this cognitive dissonance from what they've seen and what they experience, and and you're talking about that in a much more macro sense in terms of, you know, the church and how we understand everything, but if you could speak uh, particularly to the young person who's coming home uh, and is experiencing this, having experienced something quite different about what it means to follow Jesus somewhere else, what are some helpful things that you'd want to say to them uh, that maybe you could encourage them in? Uh, it could be very practical. It could be very lofty. Um, whatever comes to mind, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is be careful that you don't get absorbed back into your culture. And hmm. what I mean by that, we live in a culture. But we're, we don't just live here. We're too often we're, we're dictated by the culture. And we, we do it because we depend on the media, social media, television, whatever it is. That is our life support system. And I think what happens, it sucks the life out of you. I mean, you, you come back to Canada and you get caught up in the same things you've been doing with the same information feed. And the problem is, is that your mind quickly switches from the freshness of God and his word that you've experienced to being absorbed again in all the stuff. Uh, It happens easily. It happens with adults. It happens with young people. You come home with new resolve to follow and serve Jesus, but you're not prepared to take any radical steps about your lifestyle when you're home. Mm. It is a mental heart commitment, but not a foot and hand commitment. And so I would say, be careful that you don't get reabsorbed back into your culture and all of the trappings of it. Um, and I, and I, that's hard to, to do because we live in this crazy world where that moves so fast. And if you aren't, you don't keep up with what's going on around you, you're left behind. But I'm starting to wonder if that's so bad. Yeah. Um, as opposed to. Um, taking that same energy that you poured into serving and lowing and praying and talking about Jesus when you're on your trip, taking that same amount of energy and continuing that on in Canada. And I know the frustration comes because your group of friends who weren't on that trip have no concept of that. But here's the difference. The difference is, are you going to come home and follow or are you going to come home and lead? There it is, hey? Hmm. Um, You know, you're going to make a decision to follow everybody else, or you're going to stand up and be a leader among them, even if the crowd that follows you is small, but be a leader, not a follower. Mm. And that takes different shapes and sizes and forms, depending on the age and the the issues you're 
person's facing and dealing with. But I think we're always waiting for someone else to lead. And I think we need to call young people, especially to leadership, spiritual, biblical, godly leadership in their own generation and time. And I think um, that would be my first challenge. Yeah. Just, you know, stop yeah. following, start leading, yeah. make, make some radical decisions. I think, you know, Daryl, you've now got a few years under your belt of pastoral ministry, global mission work, uh, teaching in various settings, and, and I think, you know, the word of encouragement that you've just given to not be distracted by everything that's going on all around us, but when you come to a place of encounter with God and you come to see something different and you come back into your own setting, that you, you have to be the person who actually sets the temperature rather than just sort of following along. And so you've, there's like a conscious decision. After these years of, of pastoral ministry you've done and, and all the different uh, aspects of that then globally, what would you then say, I mean, I know that's one word of encouragement, what would you say to to a, a local church in Vancouver and, and what would you say beyond? You know, how would you encourage us at this point in your life, looking back in, at what you've seen, but also looking forward to what you think may be to come? Well, I think first thing I would say is that we have to understand the gospel is glorious. There is nothing more magnificent and astounding and precious Amen. than the gospel. And I think we lose that uh, often and in a course of life. And I think the reason people in various places are prepared to suffer is because the gospel is glorious. And so even as we live in our own country, we're not heading into necessarily a time of physical persecution, uh, but we're, I think we're going to see increased pressure against the gospel. I mean, the, 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 our culture is trying to rid itself of the image of God in every kind of way, and, and even in the whole uh, gender stuff we're dealing with. There's so much uh, trying to get rid of God involved in this, this whole this talk and this thinking. And, and I think the important point is, is that, you know, review the gospel regularly. See there's this glorious truth. And then make life decisions around the gospel, not around the culture and all of its screaming uh, for attention and for stuff. What that means in everyday Canadian life, I think it means we make decisions uh, to uh, propagate the gospel, and, and those decisions may be expensive. What I mean is, we may decide not to buy some things because the gospel is so glorious and people are so lost that it takes extra energy and resources to reach them. We, make, we may make decisions around the kinds of activities we're involved in that are culturally appropriate but may not necessarily move the gospel forward. But I think we also need to make decisions not to hide in the church and just be church people who their whole life is built around the church, but rather people who are involved in the community where they have an opportunity to live out and to share and talk and, and, and you know, the, the glorious news that we're a part of. But I think part of the story is, do we really understand the gospel as glorious as it is? Or do we sort of struggle with shame related to it? I was reading this morning, uh, Timothy, you know, Paul tells Timothy, do not be ashamed, do not be ashamed. Timothy was timid. He was not Mr. Courageous. And Paul's trying to encourage him, and he says, the gospel is so glorious. Be prepared to suffer for it. Hmm. It's that worth, it's, it's that valuable. And I think so we need to keep focusing ourselves on the gospel, and then as we do that, we, we deal with the things that would distract us 
from the gloriousness of it, whether it's in our entertainment or it's in um, our our goals for work and for finances and all those kinds of things that are part of our culture yeah. trying to achieve uh, various statuses in various ways. And, and I just I caught myself in that crazy debate between what my world says I need and what the gospel says I need. And there's a difference. And here's how it impacts me as an older person. Um, I'm in my 60s, and people are asking me continually, when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? And I actually, my answer is, I have no plans to retire. The gospel is too glorious. Now, I may slow down and change the pace and may not have the same energy that I've always had, Mm -hmm. but the gospel is so glorious. Why would I stop doing what I'm doing? I don't need to make cultural decisions around retirement necessarily. I, I need to to know how I can continue to engage in this glorious gospel that needs to be told. And uh, how do we do that? And how do we use our gifts and abilities? And how radical are we prepared to be in the midst of a world that says, you're nuts? Yeah. You know, why do you keep going to these hard places, Daryl? Well, I don't need to go on my own accord. I go because I'm compelled by the gospel. Hmm. And uh, there are many days I want to quit. Man, I'm tired of airplanes, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I'm tired of airplane food. I'm tired of hotels. You need to get rid of some of those air miles. I know somebody who will take your air miles yeah. from you. <laughs> you can have them. I'm tired of them. But the point being is that God compels us because the gospel is so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't have a specific answer to people in our own culture except that anchor yourself in the gospel and all the other stuff fades away. And, and decisions about investments in giving or serving the church or serving the neighborhood look really different if you're excited about the gospel than they look like if you're just going to church. Wow, that's so good, Daryl. It's just such a good encouragement for us. I mean, I'm sitting here encouraged right now yeah. in the moment, and I know uh, that those listening will, will receive something from what you've just said. That idea of keeping first things first uh, keeping the gospel central and re- being reminded of just God's glory in the nations and how that is actually uh, visible right here in our own neighborhoods. And so just to, to do that, you know, the, the conversation around distractions and the conversation around holiness and what are you setting aside that you might find more of Christ and, you know, asking just God to pour his spirit out upon us, that, that's a live conversation happening among our staff and elders right now. It's happening yeah. in our church. There's things going on. I, I would say now that we're six years in, um, that that I didn't expect, and there's there's decisions that I think you know some of us are being led to in that sense of yeah, what what does radical commitment look like, and and what does setting something culturally acceptable aside so that you might gain something otherwise unattainable as you pursue Christ in this life, and and so you know that we're we're in that conversation, and we have definitely received over the years so much encouragement from you. I know I personally have just of what it would look like to lean into this and take this seriously with these few years that we have of serving God and uh, as we prepare to enjoy him forever. So, Daryl, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, giving us a word of encouragement, kind of opening a window into the nations and some of the things that you're a part of. And uh, we're so thankful for you personally, for your family, and uh, thankful for the work that God has called you to and your faithfulness in it. Thank you. You're an encouragement to us as well. And it's been a joy to journey with both of you over the years. And I look forward to many more years of service together as the Lord allows and provides. So uh, awesome, awesome to be a part of a a family, a church that is uh, so amazingly wonderful and and God-centered. 
Thank uh, well, Daryl, thanks for being with us again, and uh, bless you uh, in this work that God's called you to do. Thank you. Thank you. All right, take care. Thanks. Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast.